0: Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will is in California, but we have a full show. My favorite Oklahoma grad, Dari Noka, is going to join us in a bit. He's going to talk about the state of the Sooners. And then we're going to close with retired Navy SEAL, John Richards, in figuring it out. So I wanted to start with uh, addressing the NATO's Brandon Miller situation. By now, if you're listening to this, you're well aware of this whole deal with brandon miller his role in the fatal shooting of jamia harris so for those who don't know or just need kind of a brief reminder uh a star alabama player for a national championship contender was named by a lead investigator under oath is receiving the text from former alabama teammate darius miles to bring the gun that was ultimately used as the murder weapon in um in, in the killing of jamia harris uh That was a revelation in the middle of last week because we already knew that Miles had been kicked off the team. He was arrested on capital murder charges. The alleged involvement of Miller was a revelation to us, but not to Nate Oates. Oates said on Tuesday via, ADAL, via AL.com that, quote, we've known the situation since it happened. Uh, we've been fully cooperating with law enforcement the entire time. The whole situation is sad. The team closed practice with a prayer for the situation today. Knowing that we had this trial today, we think of Jamia and her family. Kane, uh, really think about her son Kane that was left behind, so it's sad. We knew about that. Can't control everything anybody does outside of practice nobody knew that was going to happen college kids are out brandon hasn't been in any type of trouble nor is he in any type of trouble in this case wrong spot at the wrong time close quote yeah uh nato NATO's he messed that up about every possible way that a coach can mess up speaking about his star player being named in an ongoing murder investigation You know that by now that quote was so bad that I thought it was made up. And even when I saw everyone tweeting about it, I still had to watch the clip of him saying that because I couldn't believe how little awareness he had where he said, quote, can't control everything anybody does uh, outside of practice. Uh, Then just like after that, everything after that was just a worse comment that was the blueprint of what not to say in that spot tell me which of these five things was the most baffling thing that came out of Nate Oates's mouth can't control everything anybody does outside of practice uh, nobody knew that was going to happen college kids are out Uh, Brendan hasn't been in any type of trouble, nor is he in any type of trouble in this case or wrong spot at the wrong time. Take your pick. They're all bad. If your reaction to hearing that is, well, he hasn't been charged with a crime and Oats just misspoke. Cool. You can continue to pretend like a public employee who just got a race to be one of the 10 highest paid people in his profession should get a free pass for being so unbelievably dumb in a moment in which all he had to do was shut up after saying it's so it's sad. That's it. So it's sad. Just done. You held the prayer. Prayers go out to the family. We're thinking of them. We cooperate in the investigation. You move on. If if Oates just cuts himself off there, he can at least default to the horrible optics of the situation which are that his star player was named in a murder trial for providing the gun used to commit capital murder and that he didn't suspend him and by provide i should clarify that brought the gun that was used to the scene of the crime but man like he just he made this so much worse and but again by now you know this so i i understand i'm repeating a lot of stuff here but bear with me you probably also saw by now what happened on saturday wherein an unpunished brandon miller went through starting lineups and during those introductions he got a pat down by a teammate and i know that's what they've been doing all year Oat showed a little bit more awareness this time by starting off his post-game press conference by addressing that and saying that it was brought to his attention, that they did the pat-down in the pre-game introduction, he was too busy drawing up plays to notice it, and that it had been addressed, it wasn't appropriate, not going to happen again. Again, if your response is, well, they've been doing it all year, I'd say, well, has Brandon Miller's name come up in a murder investigation all year, or did that just happen last week? Maybe we default to the second thing instead. This has become a story with a lot of layers. And honestly, I don't even like saying story because that feels like it's fictionalizing the fact that a woman, a young mother lost her life. I think a lot of people have lost sight of that and they're just focused on whatever sort of spin zone they need to not feel uncomfortable. Again, that's a double negative, but not feel uncomfortable. And that includes even someone like Jay Billis, who we know has a law degree. He likes to remind us of that. He's using his platform on college game day to say that he has No problem with the way Alabama has handled this and that Brandon Miller has rights. If you don't have a problem with Nate Oates speaking the way that he did, that's on you. If you can't separate having rights as a human being versus having rights as a college athlete, that's on you too. Nate Oates wouldn't even say we're handling that internally. He said Brandon Miller is not in any trouble of any kind. In high school basketball, I once stuck my elbows out a bit too wide on a rebound, and a coach kicked me out of practice because I thought I was trying to injure another player, even though I wasn't, but still, I got punished in that moment. I watched kids in high school baseball run until they puked because they spent their Saturday nights throwing exit cars. I had a high school baseball coach who would make us run foul pull to foul pole if we didn't stay down on a ground ball. I played with kids who got codes, that's what they called them back in the day, codes, for being at parties where they were there but not drinking, which for my money is actually a bit more wrong place than wrong at the wrong time but in high school you still get suspended for that too brandon miller wasn't in any trouble of any kind for being someone who as prosecutors said was on the receiving end of a text to bring a gun that was used to commit murder wrong spot at the wrong time according to Oates. college kids are out according to nato's can't control what kids do outside of practice according to nato's The irony is that the job demands, and I say this not just for college basketball, but big revenue college sports, the job demands that coaches be control freaks in every sort of way. And it's Oates who's also talking about how he's so paranoid about winning and losing that he doesn't have time to watch starting lineups because he's busy dialing up plays. And Oates with this entire situation could not have been more laissez-faire. I think what happened here was Oates made a historically awful mistake in judgment. That judgment happened before he ever took the podium last week. I don't want to speculate because while it is hard for me to fathom how those words came out of Oates' mouth, I do believe that we can actually understand where his lack of awareness stemmed from. And in my opinion, if I had to guess, which again, that's that's all it is, is a guess. I think his lack of awareness stemmed from him being way too focused on the task at hand. He has what many feel is Alabama's best team of the 21st century. If you're reading this and looking at Joe Linardi's bracketology, take that for what it is. Alabama's on that number one overall seed, first spot locked in. That suggests this team can win a national championship. And I I think it'd be stunning if they had an early exit at this point. But remember, this is somebody who was coaching high school sports a decade ago. His rise was both meteoric and deliberate at the same time. Cause I remember my brother covered a couple of his games when he was the coach at Buffalo. And remember even as recently as 2014, 2015 season, he was the assistant at Buffalo working under Bobby Hurley, who leads for Arizona state in-house promotion. Nate Oates gets the job at Buffalo, which we know he parlayed into what he currently has at Alabama. I remember my brother would cover a couple of his games when he was a head coach at Buffalo because they played against Ball State. He told me about how fun his style was with the up-tempo offense, the way that guys kind of shot freely, but somehow at the same time, guys would buy into his defensive philosophy, which that is really rare to be able to complement with that style of offense. And so Oates was a rising star in this sport. And to this point, we've had a lot of reasons to continue to pat him on the back. And if I'm being 100 percent honest, I still think he's one of the best coaches in the SEC without a doubt. But fast forward to where he is right now, right now, Brandon Miller could very well lead Alabama to a final four. He could become a top five pick in the NBA draft and he could become that dude that Nate Oates gets to brag about like that. That could happen. And, And Nate Oates will be bragging about him every time Brandon Miller so much as throws down a putback dunk in a December NBA game. You know the coaches do that. You know it's a big point of pride. If you go back and listen to that answer that Nate Oates provided, he sounds defensive because he is. We know that it's not his job to decide if Miller is guilty of any crime because that's what we have the legal system for. But if you didn't know any better, you would think that Oates was acting in that moment like he was Brandon Miller's defense team. Because obviously, like in a perfect world, in a perfect world for Oates, I should say, his team moves past this, It embraces some sort of weird us against the world mindset, even though you're only against the world because the outside world hated the way in which this was handled. And I'm not necessarily saying that everyone handles this in a different way than Nate Oates did. Do they speak in the way that Nate Oates did? Probably not. But however many coaches you think would have also not punished Miller in that spot, I'd say you're probably too low on that. And there are a whole lot of coaches in college basketball, in college football, who would have not punished their star player in the midst of a potential championship run in a in a similar spot the one to the one that Brandon Miller is in. And I say that not to minimize it, but I just think that's worth remembering in this whole thing. I wish... That that weren't the case, but I also live in reality and I understand the way that these things work. Reality is that NATO has forgot to put his head up and take a breath. He forgot that there's a grieving family. And he also forgot that when you're the head coach of a national championship contender, speaking about your best players involvement in a murder case, less is best. I would encourage anyone who wants more information about this case to read the local journalism. Go to AL.com, Tuscaloosa News. They've been doing such a tremendous job. I listened to Nick Kelly talk about this on ESPN. He went and talked about it. I read Carol Robinson's piece wherein she asked legal experts about why this wasn't a crime. Because if you're defending Miller or Oates, that's... That's your defense at this point. And essentially it's all about intent. And in order to charge Miller with a crime, investigators would have to prove that he knew how the gun, which belonged to Miles, remember, we need to remember that part as well, He had to have known how that gun was going to be used, and then you could have the conspiracy stuff, and that's the way that that would get involved. And right now, all they have are those text messages in which Miller was asked to bring said gun, which Miles said he left in Miller's car, the one in the chamber text from miles was sent to michael davis who was also obviously involved in this and that is why this has been kind of misunderstood in terms of who was getting what text here when why and where and we need to understand the full context of all this had miller been informed via text from miles of what was about to happen this is a different story in terms of the charges or at least if you read the coverage on al.com that's the way that the legal experts have painted this picture What's also remembering is that you don't have to be arrested or suspended to be punished in any sort of way. College coaches have jurisdiction. They do. Don't let them tell you that they don't. They always do. As much as some people would love to tell you that's as simple as whether or not you get arrested to be punished, it's not. It's a different discussion if Oates just simply steps up to the podium after the so it's sad line and says, in light of what investigators told us, we gave Miller a two-game suspension. And maybe all he has to say is like, all right, regardless of what they say, I believe he showed an error in judgment to be in that situation. So I hope that he learns from this tragic, tragic situation and it doesn't define him. And again, remember, he didn't even say we're handling this internally, which in coach speak translates to, yeah, I made him run stairs until he couldn't see straight. I don't know what's going to happen with the rest of this investigation. I'm not going to speculate on that. I I don't know if the police are going to find evidence that Miller knew exactly what was about to go down. But at this point, I wouldn't hold my breath on that. I also wouldn't hold my breath on Oates finding a time machine so that he can go back and unsay one of the more tone deaf things I've ever heard someone say in a position of power. Oates just gave people a reason not to like him. Take that for what it is. I believe in grace and forgiveness, some of which will be awarded to Oates. What I also believe is that there's a difference, there's a very stark difference between grace and negligence. Oates was negligent in a way that you simply cannot afford to be in this spot, especially when all eyes are on you. Something tells me those eyes aren't going anywhere. All right, before we kick it to Dari and John, a quick word from our friends at Underdog. As you know, sports betting not legal in all these states, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, et cetera. In other words, most of the SEC states I want to talk to you about underdog fantasy. You might have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now. And they have some awesome contests where you can compete for real money. It is a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement with underdog. If you go to SaturdayDonSouth.com slash underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks. They'll throw in 50 more dollars. It is a great way to get some money to play in these contests. Every week you can pick higher or lower for different players. Pretty similar to sports betting player props. You can put real money on the line. And Yes, this is legal and live in states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, etc. Underdog is awesome. It is super fun to do while you're watching any sport in your living room and you can win real money. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog. Take advantage of our promo where Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Yep, $100 absolutely free. SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog. All right, let's kick it to Dari and then John. I'm not excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is the starting point guard for SEC Network, Dari Noka. <laughs> Dari, I wanna I wanna give our listeners a little peel behind the onion here. So uh, we were all set to do this last week, but then the night before, I was watching <laughs> SEC Now right <laughs> after the Kentucky-Mississippi State game, and uh, it's like eleven o'clock, and your voice just I noticed it sounded it sounded just a touch different, and yeah, I had the thought. Uh, you know, D- Dari's working through something right now. I can kind of tell like roughly seven <laughs> hours later, you text me and I, and I'm like, mm, I wonder if I'm going to wake up to a text from Dari. And then sure enough, I, I see that text from you and you're like, let's punt uh, on today. I'm going through something. I've been up all night. What was the official diagnosis and are you back to hundred percent?
1: Yeah. So the diagnosis, I don't know what it was. There was, there is no diagnosis. It, I was COVID negative. I was flu negative. I think it was I think it was a combination of allergies and a, and a and a like a nasty cold that basically was like congestion and then it led to drainage in my throat and then every single time that happens to me I lose my voice for a couple days so like Super Bowl Sunday dude I couldn't speak I couldn't make a sound and then what I had left I had to save for Tuesday and Wednesday for TV and. Uh, so that's what happened. And I appreciate you working with me. Now I, I would say like I feel hundred percent. My voice is probably at like 90. It's still not a hundred percent there yet, but it's getting there.
0: I think you Down sound the way up. you you sound okay. really good. Yeah, no, I uh, appreciate pe- that. People don't realize like the the voice preservation aspect of this because It's one thing to understand oh, to be ready to do your job or whatever, but also the fact that people also don't want to listen to people who are talking on air who don't have their full abilities. And that's, you know, like selfishly, we the viewers at home are like, oh, I don't care that this guy's got a sore throat. Get get somebody who on air who doesn't have a sore throat is working with that. But like I'm only on live airwaves probably four or five hours a week, and I still find myself being cautious in settings like weddings or, you know, if I go to a concert yes. or something like that, yeah. where I'm like, I'm like, I can't push my voice to the max. Like, I've got to be really careful about this. Do you have a story like that where maybe mm. early in your career where you were at like a wedding or something and you're like, Oh my God, I've got to be on air the next day. And you woke up and you had this realization that the voice just wasn't there.
1: It, it was not even that long ago, dude. It was, and you're right about like the preservation. And I've also, I've been doing serious so I did three hours of radio Monday, Tuesday, TV last night, three hours of radio this morning. And, and now I'm talking to you. So that's how I know I'm okay. The voice is hanging on, but yes, uh, Georgia, Oklahoma, Rose bowl, national semifinal myself, Chris Doring, Matt Stinchcomb, uh, go out to Pasadena to cover that for the SEC network. And I had a couple buddies that live in Pasadena and that the night before the game, actually, let's see, the game was on the first, it was the night of the 30th, um, my buddies took us all out to some place in Pasadena and there's this karaoke bar. Okay. Now I did not sing, but Stinchcomb might have. Um, And then our producer, Randy certainly did, but we, we, we were out too late. We probably partied a little bit too much. And that next day, because you know, like stench is on the stage, like people that we know are on the stage and we're yelling and we're screaming and we're singing along with them the next day. None of us could Like all three of us Could barely speak We're like at Starbucks Getting medicine ball After medicine ball After medicine ball And so we're on TV um, Like horse as, as 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 can be Fortunately that was just New Year's Eve That we were on TV And didn't sound great New Year's Eve night We really did virtually nothing um, And then the next day For the game We were all good So but yeah Like that wasn't that long ago But we all pushed it too hard one night and and we all sounded like we were sick the next day we all felt fine but we sounded atrocious so from that point forward like i decided and i'm not a big go out person anyway like i really don't go out i don't really enjoy going out for the most part but i'm more cognizant now that like if i ever do on a road trip um you know just chill out i don't need to yell there's no screaming because it will impact me the next day
0: the moment you said that Chris Doring was part of this. <laughs> yeah, You know that. Yeah, we know yeah, where, that, that's trouble. Yeah, we know where that story is going. It's funny because I think the last time I was like actually hung over was that same exact day it was New Year's Day. The that Rose Bowl 2017 where like the last time I really like tied one on pretty good the night before. And I woke up the next yeah. day and I was like. I am feeling it. so there must have just been some sort of buzz in the air where guys like us who don't really get after it. were just like, hey, we're going to do it this one time. And you know what? Ever since then, we kind of are, are like dialing it back. We're like, all right, we got to be a little bit more conservative and treat this with a little bit more caution. That's hilarious. I love it. Yeah, I think we have to. I think we have to. Hey, real quick. Are you hearing anything coming through my phone? I am hearing nothing but the sweet okay. voice of Dari Noka.
1: It's good, okay, good. Because I got some music playing through on something I think I was listening to. Uh, and it's playing right now, like in my ear, but it's very low. So I'm not going to mess with it. So as long as you can't hear it, I'll just keep jamming to that and to you at the same time.
0: What are you listening to?
1: I think it's Lil Wayne, actually. <laughs>
2: <Believe me> <laughs> that. <laughs> oh, that's like, I can
1: I can barely hear it, but I know that I
0: was listening to that not long ago. And I think that that's actually what it is. I'm fairly certain. Yeah, that's that's yeah. perfect. So if we if we yeah. just get like a random wheezy line in the middle of this interview, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. we well, know exactly yeah. where it came from. I love <laughs> it. In a weird way, it seems like everything that's happened with Oklahoma since the SEC announcement, summer of 2021, it's been kind of brutal. I mean, Spencer Weather. <laughs> right Like I look, I'm calling it like it is the the Spencer Rattler thing. All right. That all happens. Oklahoma misses out that year in 2021, even on making a big 12 title, uh, Lincoln Riley leads for USC. Obviously the new staff comes in it looks promising, but then Oklahoma has its worst season of the 21st century. Where are you at right now? Just in terms of overall morale for your beloved Sooners. Uh, I'm actually in a great place.
1: I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, um, And I'm in a great place because our fan base, I think, kind of needed what happened. Uh, Look, I've had to tell countless people, Connor, that for football, you're just going to have to get used to a lot more eight and fours and, and maybe some nine and threes than you are 11 and ones that you've gotten to enjoy over the last, you know, 10, 15 years in the Big 12. It's just that's the reality of this grind. It is. It is what it is. I'm also able to take this past football season. And and kind of throw it out the window, just like Jerry Stackhouse did when he got beat by fifty seven by Alabama. You just throw it away. And 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 like you look beyond it because what? Well, we had a coaching change. We went from an offensive minded coach to a defensive minded coach. We uh we we you know, we dealt with an injury to to Dylan Gabriel as well. We lost some key pieces to transfers, like And then, oh, by the way, yeah, like we're starting over with with Dylan because Caleb decides to go with Lincoln. And and it was it was like it was a train wreck from the get go. But through all of it, through all of it, we still get to a bowl game. We still have a top three or four recruiting class, depending on who you look at. We've still hit some home runs in the transfer portal, including a great pass rusher from Oklahoma State, which I think is hilarious. And 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 Brent Venables is coach is is recruiting the big thick defensive and offensive linemen that we need to win in the sec that we haven't had any luck getting in recent years. So it's all going the right direction. I'm okay with a six and seven. If the long-term picture is good. And I think the long-term picture is going to be good. And that's just football. I mean, like our baseball team just played for the national championship softball team, just won another national championship, like women's basketball teams getting a lot better. Our men's basketball team sucks right now, but you know, and I'm not that worried about it because they play in a dungeon that needs to be torn down or hit by the next tornado and be rebuilt. But that I, I can live with that because we're really rolling in a lot of things, and I'm not worried about. Fo- I'm really not worried about football, to be quite honest.
0: Okay, so but still, you're as an Oklahoma fan, you're always going to be thinking about the breakup. I, I I'm fascinated in in what it would take for Oklahoma to win the Lincoln Riley breakup. Like I think it would probably have to be. Doing what TCU just did, getting to a national championship, doing something that Lincoln Riley couldn't do at Oklahoma and watching Lincoln Riley continue to lead what is a second tier program, um, him doing that at USC. Like, to me, that would be Oklahoma winning the breakup.
1: Okay, so
0: I've seen this. I
1: saw this meme going around and I actually kind of agree with it. Do you know what Oklahoma's biggest win of the year was this year? Biggest win of the year. Nebraska. No. Tulane beating USC. That was Oklahoma's (laughs) biggest win of the year because, because it went back to this place where the dude can coach an offense, but he cannot lead a defense and his Alex Grinch cannot lead a defense. And Tulane came back and scored multiple fourth quarter touchdowns and they beat him. And we enjoyed the ever living heck out of it, Connor. And that was like an Oklahoma win for us. And it's the same old Lincoln and it's the same old story. And uh, so I, I feel like we already won the breakup. I'll be honest with you. And from day one, I said that when Brent Venables was hired because of his past, because of his recruiting ability in the South, I said, we are better positioned for a move to the SEC now than we were with Lincoln Riley, because Mm -hmm. while we could score 50 points a game, so could the opposition on a daily basis. And that's not going to win in this league. We know it. Lincoln got destroyed by Alabama. Lincoln got destroyed by LSU. We were all there for it. We saw it. that that. That's there's no reason to believe that was not going to continue just more often now that they were going to play those teams more often under Lincoln. I think it was a change that was needed, and I think that OU long term is better for it.
0: Okay, let's talk Venables, because. My guy T-Bob okay. is out here throwing out the, you know, he should be on the hot seat. And it's like, all right, well, the buyout's $29.4 million to be fired after 2023. I I, I get that Oklahoma has never really done the, the buyout thing. And if this goes really south in year two, and if they have some five and seven season This could be, you know, vibes of Jimbo Fisher, Willie Taggart in the way that that all played out. But, you know, I still, if I'm sitting here betting today, I'm like this, that's not going to happen. But and I also think that the the context that needs to be remembered, Joe Castiglione is, you know, he's still in that spot where he wants to have his ducks in a row before joining the SEC. And that's what everybody Mm -hmm. wants to have right now. What's your confidence level in Venables? short and long-term, that this season yeah. is going to be a significant improvement and that we're going to be talking about him as the coach of Oklahoma during this first period in the SEC? I 10 out of 10. I, th- there's not a
1: debate. I, I have no doubt about Brent short-term. I have no doubt about Brent long-term. I think this is – Jackson Arnold, by the way, is, is an incredibly talented quarterback out of the state of Texas that chose to come to play for Oklahoma despite the fact that their head coach is a defensive head coach and Brent Venables like Jeff Levy is the right guy at offensive coordinator. I have, I have no doubt. I I am not, I am like, I don't know. I I know a bunch of my buddies are all worried about it. It, 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 it. This whole like Venables on the hot seat thing is an absolute joke to me. He, I I think people grossly underestimated the rebuild that he had to undertake. And it's not, you know, they're not going to win 10 games next year but dude, I bet you they win eight and then they'll enter the sec. And, and like, you know, everybody always said, all right, OU in Texas, OU is more ready for the sec in football than Texas. He said so all of a sudden last year happened. So now it's like, wow, well, Texas is probably more ready for the sec than OU is. I disagree with that. I think on a long, in a long-term situation, Venables will be around longer than Sark. And, and he just had to hit, reset. And that is a button that is painful to push. And you don't want to watch the process develop. And everybody all of a sudden just says, wait a minute, we've been winning 11 games a year under Lincoln. That should continue. But that's not the reality, not in college football today, but he's hit the portal. He did great in recruiting. I love Levy as an offensive coordinator. The defense did show strides. I think far more than it didn't last year. I'm not worried. I'm not worried short or long-term I'm excited. That was a pretty competitive game. And by the way, Connor, this isn't just me. Like, through crimson and cream colored glasses, because you've known me long enough and most of my friends that do know me know I, I, I'm like one of those people that like I'm very cynical about, OU most of the time. And I don't have these illusions of grandeur or greatness, but I, I really, I really feel comfortable and and, and, and good about where the program is in football
0: right now. Yeah, this is a different side of you. I was, I was going to say, like, I, I don't know if I've heard this much <laughs> optimism from you about Oklahoma. The fact that it's coming on the heels of the worst season of the 21st century, like yeah. that's that's at least telling. And I think it's, you know, I, I think that's, that's worth remembering for those who are assuming that Oklahoma is just going to fall off. And, you know, we're, we're having these conversations about Texas year one with Sark where it looks like, Oh man, like, well, look at, look at the fact that like they just had this disastrous season in year one. It's like, well, year one coaches judging them, we do it too much. It's not usually the best barometer for success And Texas improves in year two. You knew that they were going to improve, but we're still talking about programs on a year to year basis. And that's going to be the case for Oklahoma and Texas. And they could change significantly even before they join the sec. The right. question right. that I think what, I, what I think a lot of people want to know is like, all right, what, what's, what's the three going to look like for Oklahoma? And if it is the three, six model, which I'd be surprised mm-hmm. if it wasn't that at this point, if as yeah. an Oklahoma grad, what is your ideal three that you would love to see for permanent rivals for Oklahoma?
1: yeah I mean my first two are Texas and Arkansas. obviously, historically and ge- geographically, those two make a ton of sense. What I would not be surprised if and first of all, I think you're right. i, I there's no doubt in my mind we're going to get the one sixteen team division and a three nine scheduling model, but or three six model. but that that third team is where the wild card is. I've heard a and m eh, I don't know. I've heard Missouri which is a little bit of a concern to me that does nothing for me, but I understand you've still got to have three for Missouri and I don't know where they're going to come from, but my ideal scenario would be Texas, which is a no brainer Arkansas, which I believe is a no brainer. And then I like the idea of creating a new rivalry that isn't necessarily geographically based. I don't care if it's Florida. I don't care if it's Georgia. I don't care if it's South Carolina, give me Tennessee, Tennessee, Whatever. I, I just like that. Give me somebody else that we don't see, that we don't play very often. And let's start playing them every year. And, and it's and, you know, we'll travel there and they'll travel here. And it's a East West, what it, traditionally it would be geographically. It wouldn't make a lot of sense. But great. Like, it's a good time to start something new. So I, I would uh, that would be my third choice would be would be somebody completely random um, that we just haven't seen much of. The
0: battle of UT that kind of sells itself with Tennessee. I actually like that. I'm kind of mad that I didn't well, have. Give that. me Tennessee. Oh, that'd, that'd yeah. be good. We we need new rivalry trophies. With Heupel,
1: like especially with like Heupel, you know. And remember the great game that Baker had against Tennessee in Knoxville, where he led them to this incredible fourth quarter comeback. Like there is a little bit of recent history between those two, but I think the hypo part of it is even better.
0: Yeah. I didn't even think about that. And if that would be factored into scheduling like that, that'd be fun. I mean, it it drums up storylines and not that the SEC in a 16 team conference is going to lack storylines. But I mean, any place you can kind of, you know, build up some of these things would be be awesome. And the treatment that these two teams are going to receive in the SEC it's going to be hostile. It was hostile for AM and m Mizzou. I think even though we know the stature of Texas and Oklahoma, there's still going to be some hostile, hey, you know, like friendly hazing type things. I'm curious how well Oklahoma and more specifically Texas take it. I got some ideas for rivalry trophies, and I've shared these on our airwaves before. Ooh. Um, maybe Texas and Texas A&M are like Texas and Arkansas. It's a horns up trophy. And the horns Good. up can stay there at its neutral position, but if Texas loses, then dude, the trophy dude, shifts to horns down. You flip it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Oklahoma, maybe it's Mizzou or maybe AM or maybe a new rival, like, like Tennessee, something like that. It's boomer schooner upright. And if <laughs> Oklahoma loses, flip you just it. tilt it over <laughs> and the wagon shifts. <laughs> Could, could we get on board with that, or are their egos going to be too offended? Uh, if their egos are offended,
1: they need to go find something else to do. I, I, I'm i good with it, man. I, I'm good with whatever. You know, OU in Texas got this cool like, golden hat thing, which I think yep. is, is kind of cool. So I'd, I'd like to kind of keep that. Um, But anything that's horns down, I think, can be fun. And uh, see, Connor, that's the thing is I, I got to watch my Texas pot shots. I can't really take them anymore. I know. You know, I've obviously got to be professional, and, and they are no less a conference member than is, or will be. So I've got to be a little bit careful there. Um, but no, in, in all reality, like, it's funny. I don't know if you know what – are you familiar with F3? Do you know what that is? Mm-mm. It's like a – okay, so it's like it's all over the South. It's actually all over the country now, but it's basically – like this group of 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 guys uh that, that get together and uh in, really early in the darkness of the morning and work out. And a different person leads every workout, and it's like a boot campy type thing. And it's really hard, but it's funny because there's this whole F3 community and they all give you a nickname. So the first time you ever go, they find out a little bit about you and then and then they give you your F three name, which is all you ever go by in those workouts. And 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 mine is actually Longhorn, and they think that's really funny. So Uh, But my my little picture on our chat group is a a horns down. I got to be careful with that. Uh, But if you want to make awards that are horns down, I'm going to be okay with that. I'm just not going to
0: say that it was my idea. Okay, so here's what you needed to do. The way that the desk is set up in the ICC Network Studios, you guys have that nice desk that's you can see right through it. It's it's clear. I don't know. It's a like glass. I mean, it looks. It's very nice. You can see your legs through this. The yeah, very yeah. first Texas yeah. loss, and it cuts to studio. I just need the very subtle Darinoka flashing the horns down below the table, and I'll zoom oh. in. I'll take the screenshot and I'll just know that that's your little sign to the world. All right. This is my last one that I'm getting in there. I'm getting this out of my system. I couldn't help myself. This is the first Texas loss. Just do that one. And then I think you're good. And I think that lasts a lifetime.
1: You're not going to post it though. Right. That's my thing. You can't post that.
0: Ah, uh, well, define the post. See,
1: that, yeah, exactly. That exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> got to be. <laughs> uh, I, I got to be careful. Hey, I don't know if a lot of people know the story. I think I might. have So did I tell you that how close I was to going to Longhorn Network? Whoa. Um, go back yeah, to that. So. Yeah, so this is um, this is 2010, maybe 11. Longhorn Network was starting. I'd been in Bristol seven years. I had done all the sports center I ever wanted to do in my life, and I didn't want to live up in New England anymore. So I went to the individual that was starting up Longhorn Network, who's now very high-ranking DSPN. Her name is Stephanie Drooli, and I went into her office, and I said, hey – you know, I, I don't know where you are on staffing for this, but I have to love Austin and, you know, looking to, to put my hands around something that I can kind of call a little bit more my own. And, you know, I just would be interested in going down and being the, the you know, the lead host of the Longhorn Network. And she goes, well, I didn't really necessarily expect to have any interest from in the building, but the, basically the, the idea was if you want it, then let's work it out, you know, let's work it out and go to Austin. And so for a while, I mean, my wife and I are online and we're looking at places in Austin and all this, and I'm telling my buddies, I, I could be like the, the guy in the Austin, you know, longhorn network, like, you know, wear that damn color. Yeah. I mean, I may, mean, if I have to wear a burnt orange, I'll wear it, but it's like a family decision, right? It gets me into a great city and out of the Northeast and all that stuff. So as it turns out, um, you know, we had a meeting a couple weeks later and she said, you know, I like the idea of you going down there and I'm excited that you want to go down there, but I've had some more conversations. And the bottom line is too many people there know where you went to school and they wouldn't be comfortable with it. Wow. Okay. Well, Which all worked out well, because then the guy that was at ESPNU and Charlotte Lowell Galindo is a massive Texas fan and he's from Texas and, And and so he wanted to go there. So he went there and I came to Charlotte. And then three years later, the SEC network was born. So it all worked out great. But I was damn close, man. I was damn close to that.
0: That's that's crazy. I I never knew that. And it's it is interesting because if people know and I I like just having let's let's all just have our biases out there. Let's let's understand. Okay, what's you can treat something as. All right. This person is coming from a place where where they don't have any sort of axe to grind or anything like that. But let's just all let it be known. OK, like we can we can understand we're not trying to cover up anything, because if you cover it up and then it comes out later after the fact or if you're two months into that job and then all of a sudden something you say goes viral and it's like, yeah, of course, it's from an Oklahoma grad. Right. All right that's, exactly. That's a tougher look. Yeah. So what you need to do now from a PR standpoint You've Mm got to be the most pro-Texas guy there is. That's how this, that's how this turns around. And that's how Texas fans will never come to the SEC network and be like, Oh, here's Dari Noka, the Oklahoma grad.
1: Well, so, so, uh, you know, kind of like, okay. So rivalries are great, right? Rivalries are great. I think rivalries are a bigger deal when you're younger, because you eventually in this business, especially like, you know, I don't, I don't dislike Texas. I got nothing. I'll be honest with you. I got to know Colt McCoy. I got to know Mac Brown. Mac is still to this day, one of my best friends. And I got to know him when he was the Texas head coach. Like I, realistically, I, I mean, I got so many longhorn friends and, you know, family members that I have nothing. I really have nothing against Texas. I like to beat their brains in, you know, on that second Saturday in October. And outside of that, they don't, I don't, they're fine. Like same with Oklahoma state. I mean, I covered Oklahoma state in, in local TV for in Tulsa for two years. I don't, I have nothing against the Cowboys. I I actually like Mike Gundy. I consider him a friend. So it's funny. I'm supposed to hate you know, dislike these teams and it's fun to talk like I do. I got no hard feelings towards Texas. I got no hard feelings towards Oklahoma state. It's just, I think when I was younger, I did. And a lot of my buddies haven't outgrown that yet, but I kind of have, and maybe that's just being in the business. So I'm actually very, very, to be honest with you, I'm, and this is a boring thing. I'm very, very excited about Texas coming to, I really, really am because There's a storylines all the time uh, as it surrounds Texas and the expectations and the athletic department and to have them and A&M both in the league together. Let's go. How great is that going to be?
0: It's, it's going to be awesome. And that's what like whenever I keep doing the the scheduling models or whatever, you're like, no, we, we start with a Texas against Texas A&M matchup. That's one of the five untouchables. You have to make this a part. Of, like for those who don't understand this rivalry, can you kind of explain how significant that is? And I understand like from your perspective, it's a little bit different than the Texas and Oklahoma rivalry, but just why this needs to be a thing in college football again.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, and I'm not overly tied into it other than I, you know, in the Southwest Conference and in the Big 12. I mean, I just saw it the same way that every everybody else did. But, you know, Texas is a massive, massive state with all kinds of college athletic pride. The big two are Texas and Texas A&M. It's to the point where I once heard a story and I can't verify this or know that it's true. But part of the reason the Longhorn Network had a hard time getting off the ground in Texas and being as widespread throughout Texas cable companies and satellite companies as it should have been was because there is such a contingent of fans that are fans of AM or Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, TCU, Baylor, whatever, that say, look, if my cable company so much as puts that longhorn symbol on a channel that I could turn to, then I'm changing cable companies because I don't even want that symbol to show up on my guide on my television like that. I heard that. I believe that. I, I don't have any reason to think that that wasn't the case. There's a lot of hate for Texas. It's a fun team to love, and it's a, a probably a more fun team to hate. And and now that AM has kind of gained traction on them, as in terms of success as an athletic department, uh, in many cases it has exceeded them, and they've just frankly become more popular because they're in the sec and texas isn't i think the rivalry is as good as any and i think a few years off is probably only going to make it even that much better so um those two need to play every year there's no question about it it's it's uh it's it's the biggest athletic event in the state of texas uh, don't give me your mavericks rockets or your cowboys texans or any of that junk like it's it is when they play it's the biggest athletic uh scene and sight in the state of Texas in any given year. And they need, they need to make sure that that's uh, going. And I can't wait for it to start again.
0: Last one for you. Uh I know you loved your <laughs> studio crew on fall Saturdays, but how no, much, it. how much do you miss Chizik? Because I do, and I only oh, see him in
1: God. person like once or twice a year. He sent me a text three days ago. And all it said is, Dar, I miss you, brother. I need to see you. We got to catch up soon. And I'm just like, I want to give the dude a hug and a kiss, man. He's one of my favorite people in the world. I'm so glad that you got to come up and hang out with us that night. And in Charlotte, he's just, he's just the best, you know, like I, I remember when I, when he told me he was taking the Carolina defensive coordinator job, I was, I was in Indianapolis. We, we were in the middle of doing this press conference show. I'm sitting on the set and there's Tebow and I don't know who else, Jordan Rogers, I think with me and you know, all the good looking people that we have that make the rest of us look ugly And, um, and, and and we're in this long soundbite and he calls me and he goes, please give me two minutes. Can you call me back? And so I call him back and, and I only had like four minutes and he goes, I can't let this get out without telling you. I cannot let this get out without telling you I'm going to North Carolina to be max defensive coordinator. He asked, he's my best, you know, my best friend in the world. And I couldn't say no. And the fact that it meant that much to him to like, not let me hear it anywhere else, like anywhere else. I mean, I was sick when I heard it, but at the same time, you know, if that's what Chiz wants, then God, I want Chiz to have everything Chiz wants. And um, you know, so good for him. But I
0: miss him, man. I miss I miss him a ton, Connor, for sure. He's the best. He's the absolute yep. best. And I try and communicate that to so many different people. And it's it, it just like you see him on TV, and that's one thing. And he's converted so many Alabama fans. But I will always <laughs> right. go to bat for him. Like uh, even even in that opener against South Carolina that they have in Charlotte right near your neck of the woods, I'm be like, gosh, I, yep. I just want Chiz to have success. I just – he's one of those people I just like – I root for. I, I want. I just want him to have a good life. And, you know, he he deserves everything that he gets. He's the He's the man. Yep. No question about it. Dari. I feel the same way. You're the best man. Go go uh go rest those pipes and uh yeah, it's all, I'll I'll uh, I'll begin the Pro Texas uh, PR campaign for you.
1: <laughs> it sounds good, man. That sounds good, Connor. It's always good talking to you, man. I appreciate you reaching out.
0: Yeah, appreciate you. What's my destiny, mom?
2: You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what
0: you're going to get. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest in figuring it out. It is retired Navy SEAL, John Richards. John, you uh, medically retired three months ago from from being a Navy SEAL. But, you know, one of those things that obviously is going to, to help you in so many different areas of life. You're also a big Georgia fan. Um, I'm doing some math here three months ago was basically right before the SEC championship so is this some sort of like March Madness vasectomy situation that we're talking about or was it you know it just kind of out of your hands
2: uh, it was uh it was out of my hands but I like to think that maybe I was just putting off such ridiculous energy and dumping it down into Athens they just went on a tirade into the postseason, but I don't think I can really take credit for that. <laughs> your background is crazy.
0: Uh, we were just talking about it before, uh, before we started recording here, um, 11 and a half years in the Navy. You're, you're on to the next chapter of your life, which I want to get to, but we've got to talk about kind of how and why you realized that you wanted to become a SEAL.
2: Yeah, it was, it's, I don't want to call it a weird thing, because I'm not sure if it is, but it's a thing that's just always been there. So I remember being six years old and my dad had this magazine and he shows me this picture. He goes, hey, you see that right there? I'm like, yes, sir. He said, that's the baddest dude on the planet. I'm like, I'm six. I'm like, well, what is it? he's like, that's a Navy SEAL. I'm like, okay. And it was the quintessential picture of a Navy SEAL coming out of the water with guns and everything. He's like, those guys can come from anywhere and do anything. And so from, the, from that day on, I just viewed Navy SEALs as like this Titan-like figure. And I'd always had a super big interest in it. Even in, in high school, middle school, I would go scarf down lunch, run to the library and just jump on Wikipedia to learn what I could about about the SEAL teams and training and deployments and all that stuff. And then around 19 years old, I realized, all right, dude, you are either going to do this or you're not like, do you really like it? You think it's cool? Is that all it's going to be? Or are you going to go full tilt and go all in and and go to basic underwater demolition SEAL training and go on to a SEAL team? and I chose the latter, and it worked out well for me i and I, I know someone who went through the
0: training and it uh, buds, which is that's any any reference to to buds is 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 a reference to to the training and this this person couldn't really cut it and you know, they weren't necessarily somebody who who sought that out with their regular everyday life before that, and I, I kind of had my skepticism about this person, like going into it. I'm sure you know plenty of people who have been kind of weeded out through that process. Take me back to to what it was like, because I saw just the the brief rundown. I was like, in order to to essentially. Uh, not all, but guarantee, but you're very likely to pass through the training. If you can do a hundred plus pushups in two minutes, hundred plus sit-ups in two minutes, 20 plus pull-ups, and then, uh, one and a half miles in nine minutes, so like a six minute mile. Is that like kind of the, the bare bones? Like, Hey, if I can do this, then I'm going to have a chance.
2: Yeah. And, and we're, we're kind of, as you guys say in this, in this realm, we're getting into deep analytics at that point. Um, First, I do want to say like, yes, it has an 80% attrition rate, meaning 80% of guys who go through simply will not make it through, but it doesn't make them less than or anything like that. You hear, I've talked to guys before who didn't make it through training and they beat themselves up. It's like, hey man, it's the hardest training in the world. Like, You can go serve elsewhere and do really well. Uh, But with those numbers you're talking about, before you can get a contract to go to BUDS, you have to pass these certain standards and they give you the minimum and they say, that's okay but this is what you need to be aiming at. And those are the numbers you talked about. And there actually are stats that show if you can hit X amount of pull up sit-ups, a certain runtime, then you do increase your chances to make it through training. However, dude, I've seen 17-year-olds with their GED make it through, and I've seen 24-year-old D1 athletes not make it through. And you can be fast and strong and all these other things, but the thing you can't train for and you can't expose yourself to is How are you going to react when the last thing you want to do in the world is the thing you're about to go do? Um, I remember doing a surf torture and that's where you just lay in the ocean. And it was like 40 degrees for my class. It was terrible. I love cold exposure now, but back then uh, it's overdone. And I remember being so cold, my vision had turned blue and I was trying to get my clothes back on and I couldn't button my buttons. And it wasn't because my fingers were stiff, which they were. I had like, it was like a central nervous connection was just cut off and I could not get my hands to work. I was probably slurring while I was speaking. And then you roll into hell week, which is five and a half days long with no sleep. And and that's so hyperbole, like you legit do not sleep for five and a half days. And uh, you, you go to a very weird place. And I learned later, once you've been 36 hours without sleep, you're considered clinically insane. And actually remember around that 36 hour mark, slipping into depression and thinking, this isn't so much hard. I just, I don't want to be here. Like, like, like like the color had been sucked out of my life and long story short, I was sitting there at dinner and I was thinking about quitting, like really, really thinking about it and dinner ends and I tap my buddy on the arm. like, Hey bro, um, I don't know what's going to happen tonight. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I might do it. And he just goes, dude, shut up. I'm like, yeah, dude, shut up. It's supposed to suck. Like it's, It's supposed to be really, really hard. And, uh, it was, It was cool and bad at the same time, because Monday night of Hell Week, I had the epiphany that no matter what happens or what they try and do, I will not break. So that's a really cool feeling. However, it happened really early and I still have four more days to go to get through the whole thing. But we got to Friday afternoon and finally got to sleep after being up for five and a half days straight and got put on crutches and all sorts of other wild stuff going on. But it's, it's a wild ride, to say the least it's almost like if you could do that throw anything
0: at you afterwards if you and understandably so that's that's the whole reason you train for anything is that yeah. you can mentally prepare i i got to imagine the physical exertion at certain points like what was the the most physically taxing point of going through something like that where you're just like okay, I, I feel like this part of my body is not going to be able to work and do what I needed to do. And then you somehow tap into this gear, wherein you overcome that maybe it's, you know, it's one thing to have sore legs or something like that, yeah. but to be able to say, no, 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 I'm going to do whatever I can possibly to make sure that this is not what holds me back at this point of the training.
2: Yeah. So hell week is a, a great deep dive into that too. And I remember, I think it was Wednesday night or so. Um, dude, the instructors will just randomly yell, go get wet. And that means no matter what you're doing, you stop it, you sprint to the ocean, submerge your entire body with all your clothes, and then you sprint back and get back to doing whatever you're doing. And I remember around Wednesday night, not feeling cold or wet anymore. Like, like I had I had gone past self-preservation, and my mind had learned to fixate itself on what needed to get done, which is exactly the point of it. Because when you get to the team, life I don't want to say it doesn't get easier, but it stays really hard. And there's going to be days where you go out for three, four, ten days uh and sleeping outside, living in an ice cave or above the Arctic circle and doing things like that. So you get very familiar with playing in that darkness, is, is what I like to call it. And on the body parts, I got when Hell Week ended, I felt like I could have kept going. Granted, I was moving really slow and I was all sorts of jacked up. Like I was coughing up blood and weird things like that. Uh, but I, I don't want to say I felt fine, but I'm like, if I had to, I could keep going. And then they put you to bed and I didn't wake up until like 10 o'clock Saturday morning. I slept like 15 hours straight, but I couldn't walk. And they ended up having to put me on crutches. And it's not like while I was asleep, I got a new injury I didn't know about. What was what was going on was my body had decided and my mind had decided we're going to do this no matter what. And we're going to keep you upright until this is over. And it's weird, man. I've I've had it. I've seen it in everyone else and even in their careers. It's weird when the mind and body know it has to do this, it will do it. And then when it's over, that's when the injuries and stuff show up. So like, I literally walked myself to my room Friday afternoon after hell week, the next morning they had to put me on crutches because I had plantar fasciitis in one foot and Achilles tendonitis in the other. So I couldn't baby either one, but it's, it's, it's a gift, man. It's a blessing to experience something like that and understand what your true limits are. And there is a, a bit of truth to say, like, you don't really have any other than the ones you put on yourself. Did you train like a psycho before
0: you decided that you wanted to go down this path?
2: I, I thought I did at the time because I, uh, so I grew up down in South Georgia, uh, Thomasville, home of Charlie Ward, shout out. Uh, and no, I like, never met an SEAL before. So I only knew the hard that I knew. And that was a lot of running, swimming, pushups, pull-ups, sit-ups, and granted not many 20 year olds prioritize that in their life. So maybe that that's a bit psychotic, uh, but after showing up to buds and coming across the freaks of nature that you get to be around, you realize, wow, I could have done a lot more. And then when you get to the team and you meet a whole new set of freak of nature, you realize, wow, I could have done a lot more. <laughs> What's the process of breaking through and
0: finally having that moment where you're like, I've done it. I've, I've done it. I get I get to become a seal. I get to,
2: to live out this dream, this infatuation that I've had since I was six years old. So... There's the easy answer of the day you graduate training and it's not buds. There's buds. And then another set of training you go through to learn basic tactics at the team level. And then your family comes out to Coronado. We're all on the grinder. They, they watch graduation. They watch you get your trident put in your chest and, and in the Navy's eyes. At that point, you are a Navy SEAL. However, when you show up to the team, your order guys go, no, you are not. Or Actually, you might be a Navy SEAL, but we consider ourselves team guys. So And then here's a peek behind the curtain, man. There's a Navy SEAL and there's a team guy. Everyone at the team is a Navy SEAL. Only the good to go ones are team guys, kind of like foxhole guys like you guys allude to, right? Yeah. And so your older guys are going to make sure you earn that through your first workup for deployment. And they actually informally take your trident. And we put it in what's called a birdcage because the trident is an eagle. And ours was a Spartan shield. So all the new guys put it into the shield. They had um, Revelation 6-8 on there about the apocalypse and Pale Horse and we had to carry it everywhere we went. Every piece of training, like it was with us at all times. They would try and steal it. When they would, we'd have to steal it back. But as workup ends, they would have their informal graduation where you get called into the team at like four in the morning, you do some sort of ridiculous workout. And then one by one, you go up into the team room and they like all 10 of them interview you at once and just reel the crap out of you. And once it's all done, they're like all right, hey, head to this location, you get there and they show up with a birdcage and then they pound with the trident back into your chest, like bare skin and everything. And I remember that being the day of like, I don't want to say I've arrived, but like, I'm, I am a team guy at this point, you know, and that was a really special day. And it's really cool when you're the older guy and get to do it. Actually, yeah, just, I was going to say <laughs> it's awesome, man. Like I got just randomly stumbled across a picture of me and my new guy like two weeks ago. And he had never seen the picture. It's he and I on the beach. He's got to, try to pound it into his chest. He's like, dude, I've never seen this. So it's cool. to we'll also get to watch other people do it.
0: What's the, can you explain kind of what the day-to-day is like doing this for a decade? Because I imagine there's very different parts of it and, you know, it's a little bit of everything. Like there's, there's the training aspects of it, you know, training for deployment, or you can go to breacher school. Like there's, it sounds like you would just be doing a lot of different things at any given point.
2: Yeah. It's very streamlined and pipeline, I would say. So We'll start like when you, right when you come home from deployment, you enter a cycle called ProDev, professional development, and that's exactly what you were just alluding to. That's where you go to sniper school, breacher school, comp school, and all this other stuff, and everyone's out just kind of doing their own thing. When that blocks over, you go into what's called ULT, unit level training, and that's when we all train together as a platoon. We're doing full full mission profiles, you're learning skydiving, mobility, so driving up armored vehicles, close quarters combat, land warfare, combat diving, maritime operations, and things like that. But it's all getting packaged into crawl, walk, run. So think, all right, you four practice this. And once we've done some reps, all right, we're gonna put it together as a platoon. And then once you 20 have got it, we're gonna put it together with 40 of you guys. And it just constantly builds on itself. And when that block is over, we, I forget the name of it, but we basically roll into deployment readiness where we're essentially doing full-on war games uh, as a big level and then deployment happens. And then when you come home from deployment, you just rinse and repeat over and over again. And during that ULT block, like it's nine months long and you might be home for a a month total out of all that. I mean, you were just constantly turning and burning, training all over the country. It's a good time. It's exhausting, but it's really cool. And this may sound weird, but, If we were to compare this to college football, ULT is more of our season than the deployment is because deployment, you got what you got, right? Once you get there, you're there, you're doing your job. ULT is kind of your proven ground. It's like, okay, who can do what? Who's capable? Who's good to go? And and who's going to push through this? Because it's really, really, really hard.
0: Breacher school sounds insane. Can you explain kind of like what that is and yeah, why absolutely. there's like the, the adrenaline junkie in you is like that, like that was just like perfect for your personality.
2: Oh, yeah. um, I got really lucky. So I checked into seal team four and as a new guy and like two days later, my chief is like, Hey, I'm sending you to breacher school. I'm like cool, which is rare for a new guy to go because they typically, don't want new guys learning advanced stuff. Like they have enough going on, but we had some manning issues. So my chief was like, This guy can go, like cool. And so, for those of you who don't know, Breacher School is learning how to get your body into denied areas. So whether it's picking a lock, hitting a door with a sledgehammer, putting explosives on a wall to blow a hole through it, you become what's called a master at that, and it's just nuts, dude. I mean, like every day you're doing like thirty explosions or beating the crap out of a door or learning how to surreptitiously entry. So like no one hears it and you're just doing your thing. And then the final training exercise is like something out of a cartoon. And that is where the instructors come up with the most wazoo and wildest scenarios you can think of. And like, you'll hit a door with a hooligan tool, rip the door off the hinges just to find another door behind it. And then you rip that one off and there's a brick wall there. Or one time they had like, like 10, 50 gallon jugs full of water stacked up. So we, went explosive, put an explosive on the door, blew that one off. And then this wall of jugs is there, but it took the explosion too. So now water's going all over the place and it's, it's nuts. I now, mean, like you'll find yourself with a torch cutting through metal walls and just absolute ridiculousness that makes no sense. But if you understand your progressions and how to do the job, then it's got to go off just fine. How many helicopters have you jumped out of? <laughs> So my final gig in the Navy was teaching that skill set itself. So
0: The skill set uh, of jumping out of a helicopter. Yeah. You're like, Oh, I'm the instructor. Don't yeah. worry. Kids, kids over there probably crapping his pants. You're like, no, no, yeah. no, no, I got this. You'll be okay. Yeah.
2: So I honestly cannot put a number on it, but I can say I've done it so much that I could fall asleep on the helicopter before jumping out of it because oh my God. like the, you just become desensitized. So my final few years in the Navy, I worked at the Advanced Training Command and my job was teaching static line jump master. So think World War II, Beaches of Normandy, guys jumping out of planes. And I also taught a thing called Hearst Master, which is an acronym for Helicopter Rope Suspension Technique, meaning jumping out of helicopters, roping out of helicopters, pushing boats out of helicopters, climbing back into helicopters. So you kind of ask the perfect question man. like that. The helicopters were just kind of my thing after a while. <laughs> My God, uh,
0: how when you're when you're sitting there, like you're, you're sitting in this position now having been through things that look, we, we hear about Tiger Woods signing up to to train with Navy SEALs. And there are people who want to put themselves through these extreme situations because one, they they, they just want to feel something that very few humans can can ever do in this life. But adjusting to civilian life, I, I got to imagine, is is really different for you. Um, what's that moment that you kind of sit there and daydream about as you're like thinking back on your time, having done this for for more than a decade?
2: That's a really good question, man. And, you, and you're completely right. Like it is strange to go from teaching people how to jump out of helicopters to just suddenly being home all the time and, and starting up the coaching stuff. But I would in this I think athletes would agree with this, too. I don't necessarily daydream of close quarters combat or land warfare. I daydream about just being on the airplane with the dudes for five hours, traveling across the country or getting done with a really hard day of training. And we all pile into the suburban and just go, wow, that sucked. But we're together, you know, that and like, I mean, I can find places to jump out of helicopters and shoot guns, but I'll never be able to get that back. And that's the hardest thing to leave behind, you know. That's what what a sentence it is. I can find a place where I can jump out of
0: helicopters. (laughs) It's true. You're not wrong. I shouldn't. I shouldn't ignore that. Um, How did uh, everything you went through kind of set you up to what you're currently doing right now with High Ground Life?
2: It set everything up nicely, man. And I didn't realize this until a few years ago. Um, I've been a teacher my whole life without realizing it. Uh, I remember being a kid and thinking, wow, the older kids are really mean. And I'm never going to be that way when I get older. So when i was older i to my in my mind i was not that way i enjoyed helping people who had been where i had been and were trying to get where i was going and then that even showed its head at the team Um, i had some really good success with some specific things and the younger guys wanted to do it too so they came to me asking like how i got ready and then like three years ago it just dawned on me dude take what you learn and go go teach it to people so, if for those of you listening, if you're wondering what what Connor's talking about with High Ground Life, it's a it's a performance and growth co- growth coaching company I've started, where I take what I learned in the SEAL teams and help people, teams, individuals, organizations apply it to their life to get where they're trying to go. And I, I have to say, man, this is not me yelling at you and telling you you're soft and weak. It's, it's not that at all. Like that is not what I do. This is where I take things like intentionality, deliberate having a plan, mindfulness and all these other things and getting you to apply it into your life and other ways you want to understand how to do and helping you find holes in your game that you didn't realize you have and, and giving you that third party view of, uh, in, in an angle that you you just can't put yourself in. Like even I need a coach, like there are things I can't see for myself. So I have an external entity that helps me work through all that. I think it's you hear the term life coach and mm-hmm. people are
0: kind of like, ah, you know, the Tony Robbins thing or yeah. whatever. It's like yeah, it's like kind of a cringy term, but like kind of what, what you're doing and given your background, that feels like something that's that's very different in
2: the way that you're trying to help people. It, it, it is, man. I appreciate you saying that. And I'm in the same boat. Like when people are like, oh, so you're a life coach. I'm like, No, 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 I'm not bad. Like, I, I, I don't like that. I don't know what it is. I am just simply trying to apply wisdom to people's lives and so i've had pro athletes that are clients i've had clients that own a cpa firm completely different types of people right there right but before you're in the nfl and before you're a cpa and before you're a navy seal you're a human and i've learned a lot about humans and what we need to do and things we can always apply to our life to help us get where we're trying to go and i've been fortunate enough to learn it in a very extreme environment and i can communicate that into other people's lives and it's really cool to work with people and just watch them take off and have these breakthrough moments or aha moments or succeed in something very specifically.
0: My guy, Emery, fellow Georgia fan. Uh, he wants to know what was the best functioning piece of equipment that you used? And he says, uh, when I was a regular army infantry man, 90% of our equipment
2: was broken. (laughs) Hey, that's a theme everywhere. Um, I mean, I, I like to kid at that, but honestly, like we're giving really good stuff. And if you take care of it, it's all fine. Um, I think if we're going to look at parachute parachutes, probably the most important thing I've ever used because, you know, you're not getting to the ground without well, you're getting to the ground way too fast. But um, yeah, I would say, yeah, I, I, I think it's a parachute, man. It never failed me. So that's good because here I am.
0: <laughs> if a parachute was a, a non-functioning piece of equipment, you would you would not be here right now talking. So that's that's very good. Uh, what advice would you give uh, for someone who might be in a spot that you were in, maybe about to graduate high school or they're going through college and they're they're not really finding that path. But they keep thinking they have this itch that they want to scratch and they're thinking that they kind of want to go all into becoming a Navy SEAL.
2: Burn the boats, man. If you want to do it, do it. Um, but before you go burning boats, ask yourself, why do you want to do this? Is it something because you truly want to do it or is it for external validation? If it's for external validation, the the program will sort you out. It is designed to do that. You cannot do this for other people. You have to do this for yourself. And if you have this itch to go join something bigger than yourself, be a part of a tribe, be a part of a very elite unit, that's a great place to go. But if you're going to do it, go all in, train hard. Sacrifice days, sacrifice nights, be ready to get up early, stay up late, just working on yourself and don't look at other options. Uh, I had a kid ask asked me this the other day. He's like, Hey, I want to be a Navy SEAL. If you couldn't be a Navy SEAL, what branch would you go into? Cause I'm looking at that. And I said, if you want to be a Navy SEAL, don't worry about other branches. Don't worry about other jobs because there will come a time in training when it's going to be miserable and you're going to be cold and sleep deprived where you think, I know this about this other entity and I could go there and they would never ask me to do what I'm doing right now don't give yourself options burn the boats all in full tilt
0: the the burn the boats mantra is, is so key and, mm-hmm. and in so many different walks of life I feel like that that truly applies and if you're going to go all into something you, you can't just dip your toe in you can't be thinking that you have other options to you know to get back to shore in, in this case um what what can our listeners do to kind of to help? those men and women who have served our country and and who are maybe making that adjustment back to civilian life?
2: That could be a whole episode in itself. But if, if I were to condense it, I would say be understanding and be patient. So I've had this happen to me as I've been out. People think, oh, he's a former Navy SEAL. He can do anything. Well, I can and I can't, right? Like, I've never worked a corporate job. That is a whole thing I don't understand. There's so many things in that that I've never once seen as an adult. And I, it seems like because I was an ABC, people think, oh, he'll just know how to do this and he'll do it really well. Well, I've never seen it. I've never seen it. So, like, just being patient with veterans, understanding, if especially if they're recently out, they've been cut off from their tribe. Like, the thing, the one thing they've known as an adult is no longer a part of their life. And that creates... Confusion, anxiety, sleepless nights, and things like that. And if you're looking for a quantifiable way to help, man, just go find a good nonprofit and ask, "How can I help?" You know, because we have plenty of people who need help, and not enough entities that can provide help.
0: Last one for you. Three,
2: Pete. Anything gonna happen. Yep. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> no, I'm actually I said that way too confidently, but I mean the talent's there, right? Um, defense is not going to suck anytime soon. You know where the concern is though, right? It's got four letters, B-O-B-O. I remember, so there was only like a 10 minute gap where Georgia was out, was without an OC, right? But I remember seeing Munkin was fired and thinking, and texting my friend Val- Go, and, listened, go to the Ravens, not definitely yeah. not fired. Definitely yeah, no, i sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, you're, I'm good. Good. Said, you're good. You're good. Um, I text my friend Val. She listens to the show. It's like, dude, Munkin's out. And then the next thing I said was they better not hire Bobo (laughs) and 10 minutes later, they hired Bobo. Bobo's from Thomasville. He's from my hometown, man. It's really cool. Um, But I understand the concerns, right? I I get it 2012 and 2014 were great years. However, that's like 10% of the pie of his whole picture. And after those years, as you've said, everything's been really lackluster. However, what I fall back on here is saying, dude, Kirby ain't put an OC in to take 10 steps back. We're not going back to those days. I don't think any nepotism was going on. And I don't mean family. They're obviously really tight friends. And so I, I don't think Kirby's down to run draw plays on third and seven, like we saw from Georgia teams in the past. And then also what might be the most important piece here is those years at South Carolina and Auburn and Colorado state. Bobo had never been under Munkin at that point. So when he was under Monkey, like how much did he learn? How much is he going to take back and how much is he going to keep? And time will tell, but that's, if I have to be optimistic, I'm like, okay, well, he had never worked for Todd Monkey before. Maybe this is a different Bobo. I swear if I see a draw play on third and seven and opening day, uh, I'm I'm calling off the three (laughs) P.
0: When, if this goes, if if this ends up with Georgia winning a national championship or the the other part of the bet with them averaging 40 points per game, you're going to have to give me, you're going to have to feed me some facts about his hometown roots so oh, that yeah, I can exactly. do my my positive comments on it at, yeah. the epi- at the end of every episode to live up to my end of the bargain. And you'll you'll just be my guy. You'll be like, hey, you know, he actually, you know, he worked this job in high school and he did this, this and this. Like, you're going to be <laughs> my Bobo inside man.
2: I'm your <laughs> Bobo <brother>. plug. <laughs> Love it. Love it. <laughs> yeah, dude, I could probably like scrounge up all black and whites of him in high school and stuff like that that be kind of like that might be overboard for you, but whatever. We'll make something happen.
0: <laughs> no, if if this happens, the because I'm gonna have to do this for like dozens yeah. of pods. So like I'm gonna need to dig into these worst high school numbers. Like yeah. dude could sling. It. Like I, I watched this one play of him back in the day, and you know what? Like he really hit the out route well. Like Bobo yeah. had just a knack for that. Like so we're we're gonna get really into the weeds. That I will definitely be calling up upon you to be able to provide some
2: ammo <laughs> yeah. for any it. Well, I hope you have. To because that's going to be a good sign for us Georgia fans. Yeah. You know? Very true. Very true. John, so, this has been awesome. I, I have to ask because I'm here. If Georgia doesn't three who do you predict taking, the taking the natty? Oh, crap. You're putting me on the spot.
0: Love it. Love it. Um, there's a part of me that when I left the Peach Bowl, I said to myself, I wonder if we're going to see this again next year. And I wonder if Ohio State given what they showed they could do against Georgia, mm-hmm. if that fuels the off season that they need and me mm-hmm. predicting Ohio state to win a national championship last year, and then kind of being like, no, nah, 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 I'm kind of out on them. They didn't really show what I thought they could for me. I, and I'm not, I'm not going on record with this prediction yet, but if there is a team that would probably be it. And I would even say that as of right now, over, Bama, just because of the questions that I have about all the surrounding talent. But then again, this is when Bama thrives. I brought that up before. So like, yeah, the boring answer is Bama or Ohio state. It's not Michigan. It's just not Michigan. Oh, I no, can't do it. Not. I can't talk myself into That's Michigan. Yeah. Can't do it. It's not USC. I'm not going to go with some, it, it's not even Florida state who I said, there's the ultimate good vibes team. I think their schedule is too difficult to win a national championship. So like, if I'm going today, it would be like, you know, an Ohio State or an Alabama. And that's the most boring answer possible, but that's probably the only answer I can give you.
2: It is. But like when you look at the talent composite, like you said, man, it, as much as we may hate to say it, talent is real. And there was a reason Ohio State gave Georgia everything they could ask for, and TCU rolled over and showed their belly. And I don't mean that I anyway, mean, but that was a something, you know? It
0: wasn't even a game. It wasn't even a game and that that talent level is not going anywhere. If Kyle McCord ends up being the guy and if he, he can do what Stroud did against Georgia, which Stroud did enough to win that football game. There's no doubt in my mind whatsoever. Like, OK, this is this is a different conversation. I would have way more confidence picking Ohio State to beat a team yeah. of Georgia's caliber as opposed to sitting here being like, oh, yeah, Michigan's finally going to get over the hump just because they return, you know, McCarthy and Coram and these guys. It's like, what, what, are, what are we doing if we're going to continue to say something like that? That doesn't make sense to me. Well, John, this has been awesome. Really, really appreciate it. Such a cool perspective that you have. Um, Where can people find your work um, and become involved with everything that you got going on?
2: Yeah, if you just jump on Instagram, the best place to find me is Instagram. Just search High Ground Life, all one word. It'll take you right to my page, which will take you to a calendar schedule. If anybody wants to talk to me, you can DM me or book something on there. I'm building out a website right now, so I don't want to send people to it quite yet. But Instagram is the best way to find me.
0: Love it. Love it. This has been great, man. Yeah, well, will talk soon. Yeah, dude. See you, man. Thank you. If you have not, leave us a five star review, subscribe to this podcast, follow us on Twitter at the SDS pod at set down south. Subscribe to our basketball newsletter, Blue Chip Grit. You can do that at bluechipgrit.com. Join the Facebook group and hear your name Red right on Earth with figuring out or bold and brash. Thanks, guys. Talk
2: soon.